Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 327. Felt a chill wind curl around the room. The fire swayed and danced beside me as I heard boots moving across the wooden floor. The room was quiet as I sang. She sits by her window, she sips at her tea, she waits for her love to return from the sea. Her suitors come calling, she watches the tides, and all the while Violet bides. I hit the final chord, but instead of the thunderous applause I expected, there was only an echoing quiet. I looked up and saw four tall men standing in front of the hearth. The shoulders of their heavy cloaks were wet with melted snow. Their faces were grim. Three of them wore the dark round caps that marked them as constables. And if that weren't clue enough as to their business, each of them carried a long oak cudgel bound in iron. They watched me like hard-eyed hawks. The fourth man stood aside from the others. He didn't wear a constable's cap and wasn't nearly so tall or broad across the shoulders. Despite that, he carried himself with undeniable authority. His face was lean and grim as he drew out a piece of heavy parchment decorated with several black official-looking seals. Both Arladin's son? He writ aloud to the room, his voice clear and strong. In the sight of these witnesses, I bind you to stand to your own account before the iron law. You are charged with consortation with demonic powers, malicious use of unnatural arts, unprovoked assault, and malfeasance. Needless to say, I was caught completely flat-footed. What? I said stupidly. As I said, I'd had more than a few drinks. The grim man ignored me and turned to one of the constables. Find him. One of the constables drew out a length of clattering iron chain. Up until now, I'd been too startled to be properly afraid, but the sight of this grim-faced man pulling a pair of dark iron manacles out of a sack filled me with a fear that turned my bones to water. Simon appeared next to the hearth, pushing his way past the constables to stand in front of the fourth man. "'What exactly is going on here?' Sim demanded, his voice hard and angry. "'And that's the page!' "'I'm Jeremy.' "'I'm Jordana.' "'And Nick has gone off uh, in search of his true love. He is currently uh, exploring the Kempe Sea. I'm, I'm sure we'll see him again soon.' "'And here I just thought he got picked up by some constables.' Hmm. Well, uh, whose story do you believe, listeners? Stay tuned to find out more. Speaking of constables, they're so scary. I'm so scared for Quoth right now. I don't even remember what happens after this. <laughs> yeah, I completely don't remember this sequence of the book. So I'm I'm just as in the dark as you are. But I agree with you entirely. These constables are presented in a really scary way. It doesn't feel like strange or unfamiliar to me. Like I'm a super goody two shoes. I've never been in trouble with the law, but I get nervous when I walk by cops on the street. You know, I get nervous when there's like a cop behind my car. Yeah. And I think that's because like part of the function that, that the police serve is to scare you straight. They, they couldn't do their jobs as effectively if people weren't afraid of them. So I think not all cops can be as cute as the ones in uh, Zootopia. Or Paw Patrol, indeed. Indeed. 
If only all of our police were puppies. I'm sure that would actually, that would totally work better if they were like adorable puppies. People would listen to puppies, right? I, I'm sorry to tell you, Jordana, that, that there are puppies who are cops. No, there are dogs who are cops. That is different. All doggos are puppers. Fine. Are all puppers <laughs> doggos? Yes. I see, so it works both ways. Okay, back to the page. (laughs) (laughs) This also gives us a world-building detail, right? Because Quoth has mentioned the Iron Law before, but we don't really know what form that takes until now. And it turns out that Tamarant has, or at least Imra and the surrounding environs, and maybe the Commonwealth, have a formalized police force with people who are like process servers or um, who go around and like chart, like to serve you your, your affidavit or your subpoena yeah. and then, or your, the, the warrant, people who come to your door and knock on it and say, you've been served or something. Yeah. I've seen it in movies. Yeah. That's a, that's a process server, at least in Toronto it is. And they have like guys, like a professional police force, which didn't in our world didn't exist before like the industrial revolution. There wasn't such a thing as like a, formalized professional police force uh would there still maybe have been like something that was called a constable but wasn't as well organized you know i don't know maybe there was definitely like the word sheriff like the sheriffs that is an old old office but it used to be like a feudal like position it was like being a feudal lord with some extra responsibilities for like carrying out uh, you know, being like you were like responsible for a jurisdiction and keeping law within it, like the sheriff of Nottingham, for example. But that guy was like an aristocrat who could hire basically private soldiers and mercenaries to like be his his hands. But I don't think it's quite the same thing. I see, I see. So this is like an interesting fantasy anachronism, but it doesn't feel like out of place or weird just because it's such a staple of fantasy fiction that, well, obviously the town has guards and the guards are nebulously attached to the government in some way and they keep yeah. law in order. I want to talk a bit about the way they're dressed and then I also want to talk about exactly what they're charging Quoth with. Shoot. Uh, okay, let's start with the way they're dressed. So they have dark round capes. So I don't know if a, if a round cape is a Oh, they're caps. I read it. Did I say capes when I read it? No, you said caps. Okay, good. I just misread that. Okay, fine. They have dark round caps. So would those be like those little caps that um, uh, berets would be like a beret? Do you think? That's, I mean, that's possible. Or do you think it's like a globe on their head? (laughs) I picture it like the sort of pointy Norman helmets that uh, are staples of medieval fiction. Think of like in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when there's like the French guy who is taunting them from the castle walls. Yeah. But that's like a, that's like a helmet helmet. Like that's made of not fabric. The word cap does not necessarily imply fabric. There are helmets that are called caps. Really? Okay. See, I, I assumed cap to uh, ensue like, like a felt material. Yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly possible. I can see, I can picture that. Back in medieval times, they definitely did have those, like, round, flat hats. Yeah. That you sometimes see. Just trying to imagine all the possible hats. Well, and that would make a certain amount of sense, too, because there are, like, militaries and police forces today that wear those stupid-looking berets. So it would all kind of, like, flow together, if that's what he intends. I was going to say, okay. So, you know, it's like a Shakespearean hat with a big feather coming out the back, but it doesn't always have a feather. They're like big and floppy, and I assume that they are round 
from the top view. They have like a brim. They sort of look like a nanny cap. <laughs> like a nanny cap? Like a nanny cap. You know, like a cap that a nanny wears. Do nannies wear a particular kind of cap? Like it's like a like a like a sleeping cap that you might see on an elderly woman wearing glasses and a nightdress. Um, like that kind of cap. But if you put a feather on it and made it bigger and put it on a Shakespearean guy. I I definitely <laughs> cannot picture what it is you're trying to describe to me. Cool. I will add a I will uh can we bookmark this and we can put a picture of of the the hat, I mean, in the notes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can you can send it to me afterwards and I'll attach it to the show notes. Charming. I also imagine them with capes though. I know it's not on the page, but I imagine them with like those uh those little short capes that go like down they cover your shoulders and like the top half of your back and they go down to like your elbows ish and they like clasp in the front well it says they're wearing heavy cloaks okay so that plus a bigger thing on it like if you put that on over a cloak sometimes there are like especially if you look at like victorian fashion there are big heavy coats that have like an extra rain cape on yeah, the back yeah, yeah. that comes down. Mm-hmm. So I can see that being a thing. Yes. That's not what I'm picturing, but I can see that being a thing. Okay, what are you picturing? Just like a big, heavy cloak. That hood, I'm... no hood? No hood. Because they have the funny hats? Yeah, or at least if they come with hoods, then the hood is down because we can see their hats. But I feel like if you're wearing a hat, you're not wearing a hood. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I see that. What if, Although, what if you wanted to protect the back of your neck and you didn't have a collar? Well, mo- most helmets, if that's a concern, most helmets would have like... I forget the word for it, but it's like a tail of of mail, like a, of chain that comes from the back of the helmet down the back of your neck. I see. All right. And I also want to talk about the look of the, the long oak cudgel bound in iron because I imagine this like a, like a heavy wooden bat, but it has like iron rings with little studs on it. Is Absolutely. That- yeah, yeah okay. that's exactly what I would picture as well. Not like a bat wound in barbed wire, which I feel like is also an image that you could get from this. Yeah, well, I, I feel like when it says bound in iron, that it's implies like a, like a tight ring. Yeah, exactly. Very well. I'm glad that we are uh, we are in agreement here. Okay, totally. I'm ready to talk about what he's been charged with, but I'll let you take the floor. No, please, shoot. Okay, so consortation with demonic powers feels old-timey even for this world, but maybe that's just because we're used to being in university land? This feels like he's being charged with an archaic law, which is part of why I think we're going to find out later that these charges have been trumped up by Ambrose, I'm pretty sure. But yeah, that feels like me charging you with one of those archaic 19th century laws about like not letting a squirrel out of your wash tub on Sundays. <laughs> yes. You know, a law that makes no sense at all to us now because there's no context for it. But we know that there is a history of people at the university who are sympathists or arcanists in some other way being charged with like witchcraft and burned because people were cowardly and superstitious. So this seems like a hearkening back to that. Like he's being charged not only with consultation with demonic powers, but eventually we'll find out with malfeasance. So it feels like they're, they're basically charging him as a witch. Yeah, well, okay, so malicious use of unnatural arts sounds like the same thing as consortation with demonic powers. Like, it sounds as archaic and probably about the same when it comes to the actual actions that it would entail. Uh, uh, mm. No? Okay. I think that that if you're the kind of person who makes both of these laws up, 
that the distinction you see is malicious use of unnatural arts is like using a mobbit on somebody. Consortation with demonic powers is making a deal with the devil to get the mobbit. Okay. So two things could be, could be true. I see that. Okay. Reasonable. Unprovoked assault and malfeasance. I'd say unprovoked assault is the only one that's like a real law in, in our world. And then malfeasance, would it still be called like malfeasance is magic specific. Yeah. And it's interesting that the iron law has that on the books. And so does the university and it's like non binding, non government system of bylaws. Mm -hmm. Right. I think, well, it makes sense that malfeasance exists in both of those places. I imagine unprovoked assault would also exist in both of those places. Yeah. Just, I don't think demonic powers or malicious use of unnatural arts would exist at the university because, they, yeah. Because they know better, right? They know yeah. there's like, there's, as far as they're, or at least they think they know better, right? As far as people at the university are concerned, there's no such thing as demons, there's no such thing as Chandrian, and there's no such thing as the Fae, right? Yes. Now, we and Quoth eventually all learn that there is such the a thing as the Chadrian and the Fae are real, which does call into question, well, are demons real too? Hmm. We're told earlier on that what people think are demons are actually the Fae. But what if that's not correct, right? What if that's what like Foth thinks? Like, oh, people have been confused. They misunderstand. They say demons, but what they're really talking about is the Fae. But what if he's wrong? What if Bass doesn't even know that there's such a thing as a demon? I th- I think that probably what's occurring is that demons and the fae are sort of the same in that the fae are a broad range of creatures that then get sometimes classified as demons. The way that the Skrail get classified as demons. Right, yeah. In the narrative. They're not demons, but they're from the fae. And they're bad. <laughs> yes. Good. Okay. I think I covered all of my notes. The only thing I want to add is that I I want to point out a good use of an adverb as a dialogue tag on this page. Oh, and there's no Nick to tell you you're wrong. That's right. When Quoth says, what, stupidly, the stupid is important I to agree. tell us how he says it. Yes. Especially because he follows it up by saying that he's had more than a few drinks. So I'm, it's definitely for you. It's like a, what? Yeah. Because it could also be, if, if it wasn't followed up by a, stu- a few drinks, or if it wasn't said that it was stupidly, he also could have been like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, How, How dare, it- dare you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we went to the same place there. Yes. It's such a harmonious <laughs> podcast. We always agree about everything. <laughs> when Nick's not here, everyone gets along. <laughs> Although I feel like it works the same way when you're not here. <laughs> so really, we both get along with you because i sit on the fence and despite the fact that he and i have been friends for 18 years the people we really don't get along with are each other and so that's how you know that you're real friends though because you're you're you still hang out with each other despite the fact that you disagree a lot therefore you are true friends well i've actually observed and this is true of not just me and nick but me and uh, some of my other very closest friends is that we broadly share the same interests and tastes and opinions. Like Nick and I both like Star Wars. Nick and I both like this book. But when it gets into the nitty gritty specifics, we often disagree heatedly about the things that we like. 
And that, I think that has colored a lot of my truest friendships. I see. Listeners, you can psychoanalyze that little bit to death on tomorrow's page. Of the wind.